y'all doing today? Fantastic. I love the... Uh, da, 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 da. Just so you know, I grew up Pentecostal, so I'm used to a very, like, loud and vocal call and response. So, like, I'm talking like they were like, yes, preach, like all that sort of stuff. So if at any point you want to just, like, scream at the top of your lungs, uh, go for it. <laughs> You're like, I'm ready, let's do this. Uh, if y'all, if you feel comfortable, please bow your heads and pray with me. Dear God, thank you for bringing us into this space today. Thank you for existing with us both here and always. May you pour into our lives a spirit of abundance, a spirit of love, a spirit of life, a spirit of growing closer and closer and fuller and fuller inside of you each and every day. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, and thank you for everything that you bring to us and everything that we bring to each other. So uh, if you have never met me before, or if you have previously met me by another name, my name is Bailey. Uh, the pronouns I go by are she, he, and they. I use them all equally. It's like a Mr. Potato Head doll, just whatever you stick on it sticks. <laughs> and I'm one of the student pastors here. Uh, something that I probably shouldn't admit as a pastor in training, uh, earlier this month, I almost killed somebody. <laughs> I promise it was by accident. Uh, my <laughs> roommate, <laughs> My poor, poor blessed roommate uh, was just asleep at 8 in the morning, just minding their own business in the thin walls of our apartment, uh, when all of a sudden they were waken up by a very loud crash. Uh, see, what had happened was I'd gotten up a little earlier, and I thought, like, hey, it's getting colder. I probably, like, don't need my AC unit anymore. Like, I'm going to go ahead and change it by myself, all right? Somewhere at the back of my brain, a little voice whispered, like, hey, Bailey, um, you're from Texas. You've never done this in your entire life. Um, maybe this should be a two-person job. That's the first voice that I ignored. <laughs> I, I go to the window unit, and I, uh, I place both my hands on it, and I just like try and pull it out like that, right? Obviously, it doesn't budge, those of you who are familiar with uh, window units. Uh, it wasn't budging. And as it wasn't budging, I kept thinking to myself, like, gosh, this is a lot heavier than I expected it to be. <laughs> Somewhere at the back of my brain, a little voice was like, hey, Bailey. Um, you remember that scene in Russian Doll, spoiler alert, where the window unit like, ah! <laughs> That's the second voice I ignored. <laughs> so I'm at the window unit and I'm like, okay, obviously I gotta lift the uh, window up first to pull it in, right? I like have one hand on the unit, I place the other under the window, and I like try and lift the window up. It's still not budging. So, <laughs> I take my other hand and place it under the window and try to lift it up. For those of you keeping track, that's a grand total of zero hands on the window unit. Somewhere at the back of my brain. Little voice goes like, girl, hey Bailey. But it got interrupted by a loud crash on the sidewalk three stories below. <laughs> I've been accused of being many things in my life. Um, charming, witty, fantastic, oh my god, all terrible things, you know. But the one thing I've never been accused of being is careful. <laughs> I just get so excited by the possibility of anytime uh, one part of my brain is like, hey, Bailey, I have an idea, the other part of my brain jumps to it and they're like, yes, let's do that immediately, fantastic. It doesn't really give space for all the parts in the back of my brain that are like, hey, Bailey. They just get drowned out by this like puppy dog excitement. I've got tons of stories that illustrate this. It's like once uh, whenever I was a kid, I was playing this board game and I had to demonstrate somehow that grapefruit is quick. It was a weird board game. Uh, but so I get to thinking like, oh, okay, my mom has this glass jar of grapefruit, and I throw it as fast as I can down the hallway. <laughs> um, 
And to my credit, it did slide quickly, so I feel like I should have won the game. But it got interrupted by my mom being very upset by the shattered glass jar of grapefruit juice. Uh, she had to rent a professional carpet cleaner for the game. Uh, <laughs> literally, y'all may have seen about a month ago, I came in bald. It's because for my Halloween costume, I thought, oh, I need to cover up my hair. And before I knew it, I had clippers in this hand and all my hair was on the floor. <laughs> I have so many stories, countless, like 25 years of experience that all demonstrate common themes with me. Anytime I'm about to do something, I'm probably not going to have thought it through. Speaking of people who don't think things through, let's talk about this farmer in this verse, all right? <laughs> I just want to be, be very clear. I've never been a farmer uh, before, I've, uh, so I'm judging from an outside perspective, so like all I have is like my own experience, right? I can only speak to my own story. However, it looks to me like this farmer is um, what people in the business call a bad farmer. Let's look at some of the places that they plant, all right? First, uh, the farmer plants on the path. And I'm like, okay, that's not exactly where plants go usually, not on the path. That's where feet go, and feet trample plants. Uh, at least planting it on the path, like there's soil there, it makes a little more sense than like planting it on the rocks or planting it in the middle of thorns. That's like trying to start a campfire underwater. But uh, at least the path, like, you know, makes a bit more sense. But before, the seeds can even grow into plants that get like trampled on, they get eaten by birds. And birds like can't really eat anything underground, so it's like, did this farmer not even take the time to bury the seeds? Like I said, I'm not a farmer, judging from an outside perspective, but um, it was my understanding that a big part of planting is putting things underground. Kind of like the only part of planting I'm familiar with. In the verse, Jesus, as he's telling the story, literally, nev literally never even says that the farmer planted the seeds. Plant is never a verb that's used in this. Uh, the word that's used is fall, where it talks about where the seeds fell. Even when it's like good soil, like the soil that bloomed up, the verb that's used is still fell. So like at best, like at worst, these seeds just like tumbled out of the uh, seed pouch or whatever. But at best, this farmer is just like scattering seeds around like it's ripe at a wedding. This is not a careful farm. This is not a farmer who looks before they leap. This is a farmer who like maybe goes to interview at a, uh, goes to interview with a farm and is like, hey, this is like my method of planting. And the interviewer is like, okay, thank you for coming in, bye. <laughs> it's bizarre to me then that as haphazard and as inefficient as this farmer is, this farmer is supposed to be a metaphor for Jesus. The parable comes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 13. In the chapter right before this, uh, Matthew chapter 12, uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' time come to him and they're like, hey, what you and your disciples is, uh, is doing, that's wrong. Uh, which, by the way, the religious leaders of Jesus' time, that's like his co-workers, his colleagues, right? His peers. Um, so they tell him, but Jesus is all like, okay, this is fine, I got this, I'm Jesus. And he like explains to them why he's doing what he's doing, right? And luckily, because he's Jesus, um, it goes very well. It's 100% effective, and they like calmly leave him alone. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. No, that's not what happens. Uh, opposite of that. Sorry, I misread. Uh, Matthew 12:14 uh, says, "But they went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus." <laughs> so then, the next verse, Jesus is like, "Uh oh," and he flees the town. <laughs> so okay, Jesus may not have been like careful or efficient whenever it came to like his religious leaders, but again, that's not who he's trying to talk to. He's trying to talk to, like, a more general populace, right? 
the next chapter, near the end of Matthew chapter 13, it's after the parable of the sower, uh, Jesus goes back to Nazareth, the town that he was born in. Um, there's, I just want to let y'all know, there's no crowd that's ever going to be better than, like, your hometown. You know what I mean? Uh, like, there's just something about, like, when you see somebody on that stage and you're like, yes, like, they're representing, like, where I'm from. It just gets people excited. You know what I mean? It's like, why is he Houstonian? I'm a big fan of Beyonce. It's why the Cubs have any fans at all. <laughs> My deepest apologies to Cubs fans. All are welcome in the kingdom of heaven. Um, <laughs> somebody in the first service pointed out, you're literally wearing Cubs colors today. And I'm like, well, fuck it, we do. So Jesus goes to his hometown for an easy win. Uh, he preaches there, and of course, like, every Nazarene there is like, yes, hometown hero, like, stream Jesus on iTunes, like, all that sort of stuff. Oh, my God. No, actually, opposite of that. I'm so sorry. They hated Jesus. They were not fans. Uh, Jesus goes to the place he grew up in, spent the first 30 years of his life in, approximately. And uh, in Matthew 13, 57, it says the Nazarenes, they took offense to him. They took offense to what he was saying. Uh, the uh, Greek word is uh, skandalizonto, which is the root word, root word for scandal. It's a big deal. It was such a big deal, in fact, that the next verse, verse 58, Jesus is like, all right, if this is how y'all are going to act, I'm not doing any miracles today. Like Matthew like, went out of his way to write, like, Jesus did no miracles that day. Literally what he came to that town to do, preach and, like, miracles and all that sort of thing. Um, a pretty unproductive trip. Pretty unproductive trip, if you ask me. I just feel like the guy who, like, predicted his own resurrection could have planned around that, maybe. So, okay. Jesus was a little ineffective with religious leaders, right? And he was maybe too haphazard with, like, you know, what he did in Nazareth. But at least Jesus chose his friends carefully. Except for Judas. And except for Thomas. Um, and except for Peter. That's a fourth. Okay. Jesus wasn't really careful at all, basically. <laughs> he, uh, for an infallible being, it looked like he made a lot of mistakes. He spent his time and his effort kind of haphazardly, and as a result, he was met with the thorns of the religious leaders, he was met with the rocky ground of his disciples, and he was met with the hungry birds of his hometown. As a kid, when my mom would hand me something dangerous, this wasn't often, um, she used to say, like, hey, be careful with that, don't hurt yourself. And Jesus, like, definitely got hurt with the life that he was given. He got hurt really in the biggest way that human bodies can be hurt, as a matter of fact. It makes me think that whenever Jesus' parents uh, you know, handed him life, they didn't say, hey, be careful with this. Which makes me think there are probably better things in life to be than careful. Like I mentioned earlier, careful is not something I've ever been accused of. Uh, but I'm aware of that. I always try and like counteract that. Like I said, I operate under this conclusion of, like, anytime I do something, it's probably not going to be thought out, right? And so I try and, like, plan. I try and, based on past experiences, I try to predict failure and, like, avoid that in the future. Uh, there was one time I was, like, seeing this guy, and uh, things were going incredibly well. Like, he was, it was really fantastic. I really liked him. Uh, we were on a date once, and he was like, hey, you want to go, like, hang out at my, uh, my house after this? And I was like, I'm so into this guy. He's so cute. Yes, let's do this. Let's do this immediately. Uh, and so in the car on the way there, like, I start thinking through, like, okay, again, anytime I do something, it's not going to be th thought through, so let me, like, think through this a little bit. Uh, and I just start thinking through what's going to happen. I'm like, I know this guy's a big fan of wine. He's probably going to offer me some wine whenever I get there. And, like, am I in the mood for wine right now, though? I don't know. And if I say no, is that going to be, like, rude to him? I'm not exactly sure. 
Also, is this like a shoes off house? Some people are like really big about their shoes. Like, should I take my shoes off whenever I enter? You know what, it's fine, I'll just follow his lead. Oh my god, but what if he walks in after me? Oh my gosh. What am I really like doing here? Is this all too impulsive? I really feel like I haven't like known this guy super long. I really should have like thought this through. Like I just like he asked me and I said yes, and I always like jump into these things when, without thinking through them. I never think things through. I really should have thought things through. I actually ended up uh, not hanging out with him afterwards. Uh, I ended up going home, and the next morning I felt bad about the fact that I had done that, and so I actually just like stopped talking to the guy, which is a shame because he's really great. We all draw conclusions based on our past experiences, and that's like a good thing, right? Like if you have milk and then like milk makes you sick, you think like, oh, don't drink milk again. Awesome. You know, we, something bad happens to us, we try and analyze like why that happened and we try and avoid that failure in the future. But sometimes we get so hurt or scared by the experience of failure that we overcorrect. You know, we draw these inaccurate, overly negative conclusions about ourselves that we then operate under for the rest of our lives. We drink milk and we feel sick and we're like, oh my gosh, I guess my stomach's just weak and then we just like never eat anything again good to think things through, sure, but sometimes whenever you look before you leap, you end up looking down and thinking that's a really hard drop. And then you just stay exactly where you were when you started. I wonder whenever I'm reading this verse, I wonder, did the farmer have any regrets about the way that they planted? I mean, three-fourths of the soil that they planted on had absolutely no yield whatsoever. They wasted three-fourths of their seed. So I start thinking, like, did they wonder what would have happened if they just put all their seeds on the good soil? If they'd just taken a little time beforehand and just seen, like, which soil was where, and, like, just planned out what they were doing a little more. Um, if Maybe even if they had, like, thrown less seeds out, if they had, like, saved a little in case, like, they didn't all go where they were supposed to. Maybe he should have, like, waited a week. Like, maybe that's, like, would have been better. Did the farmer regret anything that they did? I personally feel like regret is very constant in our culture. I feel like generally if something goes poorly, we think, oh my gosh, I should have made that go well. And then if things go well, we think, oh my gosh, here are all these ways that it could have gone better. We, uh, there's this constant pressure in our culture to not just be good, but to be better and to be best, to optimize our output. What you're doing isn't necessarily measured on its own, it's measured against the people next to you, and the ne people next to you are like improving every day, so you've got to you know, step up, keep up, do better and better. But that's definitely not story that we're given here. This farmer isn't worried about being the best farmer around. I mean, look at the way that they were planting. They didn't worry about what their field would look like whenever it was compared to the other farmers. They didn't care how ridiculous they would look whenever they were just throwing seeds around like that. They didn't worry about reaching 100%, because Jesus isn't concerned with optimizing our output. Jesus' main concern isn't with how productive we're being, how much we're putting out there, the kingdom of heaven has a much different definition of what abundance is. The kingdom of, he of heaven counts um, abundance of naps. It counts abundance of good food. It counts abundance of memories, of laughter, of self-satisfaction, of spiritual elation. For Jesus, what, our, what abundance looks like is to live our lives abundantly. Whenever the farmer went out to plant that day, they weren't worried about, like, oh, how many crops am I going to yield? It looks like the farmer's main concern was with how many seeds they were going to plant. It didn't 
analyze based on, like, is this soil going to produce better than this one? Because I think in the farmer's brain, like, just because some soil didn't bloom as much doesn't mean that it was de it deserved less seed. And so they planted recklessly, haphazardly, and a bunch of seed. I also want to be very clear about something. Um, there is a big difference between not planting because you're afraid of what's going to happen when you're no longer in control of the seeds. There's a big difference between that and not planting because you don't have seeds. There's a lot of different kind of resources out there. You've got financial resources, but you've also got mental and emotional resources. You've got time as a resource as well. And each of those resources has a limit. We all have different seeds stockpiled at any moment, and some of us even have like differently sized bags than other people. And so it's important to realize whenever your seeds have run out, because if you don't, and at many points in my life I have not, you end up digging through your seed, uh, your seed bag and finding, I don't know, little balls of lint and being like, I don't know, is this a seed? Let's try it out. And eventually you just pick your seed bag apart. And that's no way to live. That's not living abundantly either. Here at UBC, uh, this month is our stewardship month. That's what all of these sermons are based off of. So, by the way, if you're new to UBC, uh, we don't like do a big giving push every every week. We promise this is just like, since we operate in a society that like, you require financial resources to operate, we're asking for financial resources so that we can continue operating. Generally, going by standards, uh, definitions of abundance and success and whatnot, um, it's technically not a good investment, right? Like there's no ROI, you know, there's no return of investment. Uh, there's no like, there aren't things that you can like mark very successfully. Like I have put my money there and then this is like the product or the good or the service that I've received in return. But there are, there are many things that we can track here, of course, but there are so many things that we can't. You can't put the spiritual growth of somebody onto a line graph, you know? So we are asking, help us keep doing this. Uh, and we can't promise results, right? And we can't promise that we're going to find the best soil each time because we believe in finding soils that haven't been found yet. We believe in throwing it out there and, um, and, give, and giving seed to where we can. So if you have seed to give, we'd appreciate it, uh, whether that be financial or just any kind of thing like that. Um, if you don't, obviously, still a very welcome member of the community. We can't promise, we can't promise the standard definitions of abundance every time. But we can promise here at UBC that we are going to sow those seeds recklessly, constantly, stubbornly, and abundantly. Thank you all so much.